Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. My name is Suzanne Spradley, and I'm here with my colleague, Chase Cannon, and we work with NFP, and we are here today um, on our podcast to bring you things related to group health plans. And today, I'd love to get into these different enforcement actions because they kind of bring the law to reality. And, and today, we're going to focus on HIPAA privacy and security settlements and enforcement actions. So, Chase, we always start with a level set. So why don't you give us a a brief level set on the HIPAA privacy and security rules as, as it pertains to group health plans. Yeah, thanks, Suzanne. And, and uh, some of the settlements we're going to talk about today, in fact, all of them really are in the provider space. Uh, but from, a, from the employer space, so you have the group health plan, and that's where HIPAA privacy and security really attaches. And it's particularly tough in, in the self-funded space. So if you're an employer with a self-funded plan, this is going to be um, a little bit more pertinent just because you see a lot more of the information in the fully insured context. It's really the carrier that's seeing uh, sensitive information. And we call that or HIPAA calls that PHI, right? We're going to hear that term PHI. That's protected health information. That's really any individualized type of information attached to a sensitive piece of medical information. Um, together, those two, the, the the sensitivity attaches, and that's when, where we call it protected health information, or PHI. So HIPAA privacy and security, high level, is really all about safeguarding PHI. Think of it as like a golden nugget. Uh, it's information that plans have to build protections around and safeguard. And HIPAA privacy, we're going to talk privacy versus security for a second. Privacy is all about what you, and when I say you, I mean the plan, what can the plan do or not do with PHI? You can use PHI to administer the plan. You can share it with providers. You can share it with administrators. As long as you're doing that to administer the plan, to make sure benefits are paid, claims are paid, and really to do anything necessary to operate the plan. And so the HIPAA privacy rules kind of outline what that means. But it's basically you can do you can use that information and share it as long as you're you're doing things that relate to plan operations. Privacy also relates to what you cannot do with that information, and that includes taking that PHI and selling it. Right, that's an example of HIPAA says that you can't do that uh, unless you have very specific permission to do that. Um, you can't divulge it to individuals who don't really need to see it. Um, so you can't just go around sharing it with people. Um, if they don't have a need to see it. So privacy, again, what can you do with the information? What can you definitely not do with the information? When we say HIPAA security, we're really entering into the tech world and talking about PHI in electronic form. And so the security rules really are putting in necessary safeguards to ensure PHI in electronic form, which again, it almost always is these days to make sure that it's protected. And so HIPAA security relates to things like password protection, dual authentication, encryption, uh, policies on taking laptops to and from work. Um, in the old days, security was more about, um, you know, everything was on paper. And so we're talking about locking the file cabinet where the files are, and keeping the key to the door of the HR benefits administrator's offices, and only certain people can have the keys. 
to keep all those files locked down. But in our day, it's it's the same concept. We're just doing it on the computers, right? Locking down computers and emails and databases to ensure that no one can get in uh, and view that information. So, yeah, so Chase, before you move on, if you would um, just pick, I want you to speak to a couple of things. One is um, privacy as it relates to the employer function, because I think that's a key part when we're talking about plan function versus employer function. Yeah, so there's definitely some crossover there, right? And again, particularly for self-funded, self-insured plans, people who within the organization who see this sensitive information may see it in, it's going to be a single person, but they have a dual role. Uh, they're in HR, they're in benefits. They may see information that's sensitive when they're talking, when they're reviewing plan information, but then the next day they're going to turn around and make an employment decision regarding that individual perhaps. And so it's important to understand that, you know, when you see information with your, and think of it as almost wearing two hats, right? If you're wearing your plan hat and making plan related decisions or seeing information because you're working with the plan or administering the plan, then HIPAA is going to attach there and say, okay, you got to keep this information only within the channels of the plan. You can't then uh, take that plan hat off, put on your employment hat and make a decision uh, on somebody's um, employment based on what you saw when you were wearing the plan hat. And so there really is kind of a division in, in the context that you're seeing that matters to help keep decisions separate. <laughs> so you're not using information that you saw in your plan hat to make a, a, a firing or a hiring or a, a switch in jobs or something like that. It also matters when HIPAA applies, right? You could see certain pieces of information in your employment hat uh, that, that maybe feel sensitive um, but maybe aren't HIPAA protected because they're not in the context of the plan. So um, social security numbers is is kind of one of those that we see. If, if you see a social security number, you're seeing it because you're onboarding an employee. And, and at the same time, maybe you're doing a, a benefits enrollment or something like that. The social security number by itself is not always a HIPAA protected piece of information, but it feels that way because it, it is sensitive information. So that's actually another good point, right? We, we're talking about HIPAA privacy here. There are also state privacy laws, and um, those can, can attach and have different protections uh, than HIPAA. So did you have any other thoughts on that, Suzanne? Yeah, no, I think that's exactly what I was hoping that you would uh, speak to. And then as you get into the security rule, I think it's important to note um, the HIPAA risk, risk assessments that must be completed. Yeah, so there is a difference in what you have to do under HIPAA, whether you're you're sponsoring a fully or a self-insured plan. And again, for fully insured plans, a lot of this resides at the carrier level, uh, but all employers uh, really want to have a risk assessment done. And that really gets back to the idea of just finding the leaks in the system. Think of it as a, a massive uh, system of plumbing or air ducts, whatever you want to say inside a building. And, and that's the information flow, right? And uh, risk assessment really looks at where is the information being shared and where are their potential holes. Do you have employees that take laptops home, but there's no encryption on their computer or there's no password protection? When you run a risk assessment and, and look at that, you can identify that as a, as a potential leak in your pipe system or your air vent system. Um, that's really uh, the step number one is to, to try and identify where you might have some of those holes. Um, but there's several different requirements, particularly in the self-insured 
uh, to run that risk assessment, to have training programs in place for HIPAA. We're going to talk about policies and procedures uh, for both privacy and security. Those need to be customized to the employer uh, based on what they're what they're capable of and also what they want. What is your risk level, right? If you're risk averse, you may have a policy that says no laptops ever leave the work premise, right? No work from home um, because we don't want to risk losing a laptop. Whereas other employers are like, hey, we want everybody to work from home. So now you need a different policy and procedure to make sure that everybody working at home is following whatever standards they need to, to follow to, to keep the information safe. So there's kind of this list that gets longer if you're in the self-insured context, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Right. Very good. Okay. So before we jump into the first settlement and, and I have brought up risk assessment, because that's one thing that they're always looking at. It seems like when I see these enforcement actions, they always speak to that risk assessment. But before we jump into talking about the settlements and enforcement actions, let's again, level set in terms of what regulatory body or what, what agency are we talking about that enforces HIPAA? Yes, always good to know who could be coming after you, right? And you'll hear this term OCR, that stands for the Office for Civil Rights. That is uh, the enforcement arm that uh, regulates and enforces HIPAA privacy and security. OCR is a sub-regulatory agency. That just means an office within the Department of Health and Human Services or HHS. That's a federal agency, so we're not talking states here. This is federal. Uh, when we reference OCR, what we're really just saying is HHS or the federal government, uh, but that's the particular office. They uh, uh, OCR enforces federal civil rights laws, uh, conscience and religious freedom laws, and they do the HIPAA privacy and security and breach notification rules. Uh, they also do patient safety act and, uh, rules. So they've got a lot going on here. All of those together are really trying to protect our, meaning U.S. citizens' fundamental rights of non-discrimination, conscience, religious freedom, and health information privacy. So they do more than just HIPAA, but that's just a little bit of background. I thought it was interesting, according to their website, again, we like to go a little bit on the, the history lesson or the background here. Uh, this is what they say, that OCR ensures compliance with our nation's civil rights, conscience and religious freedom, and health information privacy and security laws by investigating complaints and conducting compliance reviews, requiring corrective and remedial action, promulgating policy and regulations, and providing technical assistance and public education for the American people. So really, um, they are there to, I highlighted that, investigating complaints and conducting compliance reviews, because that's how a lot of these HIPAA things uh, arise. Uh, but they are the office with the official authority to investigate potential violations of HIPAA and to enforce HIPAA where things have gone wrong. Great. Okay. So let's let's jump on in and talk about the first settlement. Okay. Yeah. So this is uh, uh, OCR here. Uh, I think I made a copy and paste here. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't scroll down far enough, Suzanne. I'll have to cut that out. Sorry. Oh, okay. Okay, so this first one comes from the New England area, and we can use real names here since these real names are actually there on the website uh, of OCR. The company is New England Dermatology and Laser Center, or NEDLC. Um, on May 11th of 2021, NEDLC filed a breach notification report with OCR 
stating empty specimen containers. Again, this is dermatology, but these containers that were labeled with PHI were placed in a dumpster located in their parking lot. So a couple of things to note right away here. If a company has a breach and enough people are impacted, the company actually has to file a breach notification report. It's like a voluntary confession. So that's hard uh, for, for companies, and but it is something that is actually an additional requirement. They have to self-confess. They have to bring this to the government. Uh, so that's what happened here. Then um, on March 31st, um, uh, one specimen container bearing a label containing PHA was found in the parking lot by a third-party security guard. Um, all of NEDLC's, uh, or NEDLC's specimen containers bear that label with the corresponding patient's PHI. And so that label included patient names, dates of birth, dates of sample collection, and name of the provider who took it, uh, the specimen. So in this uh, sort of self-confession, NEDLC had stated that it regularly discarded specimen containers with an attached label that contained PHI. Uh, as regular waste, um, it was bagged and placed in an exterior dumpster accessible via the parking lot without alteration of that label. And then they also said that this practice was actually in effect for almost 10 years going back to 2011. So 10 years, I mean, that's that's quite a while. Right. Um, the settlement resulted in a $300,000, uh, just over that $300,640 penalty. OCR kindly calls that a resolution amount instead of a penalty. <laughs> I thought that was uh, fun, a nice way to say it, but in, there's some significant dollars there. Usually there's a statement from OCR on the facts of what happened, and then there's a statement uh, talking about what went wrong here. And the statement from OCR says, improper disposal of PHI creates an unnecessary risk to patient privacy. Uh, HIPAA regulated entities should take every step to ensure that safeguards are in place when disposing of patient information to keep it from being accessible by the public. Right. You know, and, and that penalty could have been much higher if that had been turned into um, HHS and they had not self-reported, but had been aware of it. So um, that right. would be considered a lower amount for resolution than if they had not self-reported. So you may, if you were thinking like, why would I want to self-report? Um, the reason is, is it, it could easily get still to their, brought to their attention and then you're gonna be paying significantly more. So um, right. what are some takeaways from this one? Yeah, so I mean- From some, that. <laughs> some obvious ones, right? And I love that statement because it's just so straightforward, but for, the first would be to have a better practice obviously disposing of PHI. A dumpster in the parking lot is, is not a good place, even if you wrap it up in a bag. I, I think second would be to destroy or otherwise shred or deface PHI in whatever form. In this form, it was a label. Uh, but do that before it ever leaves the employer's premises or, or the place of business, right? Make sure PHI isn't ever in a place where it's not controlled. And actually, OCR has a helpful FAQ document on this exact topic, sort of tips for destroying or, or getting rid of PHI. So that's a helpful resource if that if that's needed. Maybe a less obvious lesson is just the, the false sense of security that some companies might fall into. This, this went on for 10 years, right? But the actual breach didn't occur, or at least they didn't discover it. The security guard was the one that discovered it, right? 
that didn't happen until the 10th year. So the company might have become too comfortable with their practice. And maybe I'm totally uh, projecting here. So not saying that this particular company did this, but companies generally could say, we've done this in the past and nothing happened, right? What's the big deal? Uh, but then something happened. So just the idea that you haven't been burned in the past doesn't mean you can't be burned in the present or the future. So this is, again, why a HIPAA risk assessment is so critical is to identify practices that can result in a breach and then take steps to fix the leaks in the system. And we've seen other settlement actions where the, the company or the, the provider, whoever it was, they did do the risk assessment, but then they actually didn't put in a, a, a solution or a plan to fix it. And so doing the assessment is good, but then taking the steps to actually fix any problems. One other thing I wanted to mention is part of any OCR settlement is entering into what they call a CAP, which is a corrective action plan. And that really becomes the roadmap for the company going forward. And usually it's a period of two or three years where they have to follow what uh, OCR says. And there are conversations I'm sure going on back and forth saying, uh, from OCR saying, did you actually do this? But that really becomes a roadmap for the company going forward, helps them avoid a bigger penalty, helps them safeguard things, most importantly, going forward. Um, so really, if employers are doing their risk assessments up front, right, and creating their own corrective action plans as a result of that, in other words, taking steps when they find leaks, they can really create their own corrective action plan so that they don't ever get to this point where they're getting a corrective action plan or a cap from OCR. So better to you know, do that. Yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Finish oh, better, better to do that before the breach actually occurs. You know, Chase, um, I love that idea of the, of the HIPAA risk assessment. And it's so key. Part of that assessment is identifying where PHI is in your organization. And, and so don't forget your copiers because PHI does live on those and people tend to forget those quite a bit. And so that that's uh, one area where that assessment can really come into play when it really helps you identify all the various locations where that that information lives. But let's move on to the next settlement. Tell us about it. Yeah, this one is interesting and relates to Yelp reviews. Um, and I have never been a big Yelper. But I've read <laughs> reviews before, and this one was for a dental practice, New Vision Dental or NVD. So we're moving into the electronic world a bit, right? The last one was kind of labels on paper. But back in 2017, OCR received a complaint alleging that NVD, again, this is the dental practice, impermissibly disclosed PHI on its Yelp business page when uh, a doctor who works there, who is also the owner, I believe, responded to various reviews posted by individuals. And you would think it's okay to respond, but specifically the complaint stated that uh, NVD habitually disclosed PHI when it responded to patient posts, sometimes providing full names um, where only Yelp monikers were used by the patients. In other words, the patients just used a, a pseudonym or whatever, but the, the doctor in responding used the full patient name, but it also included detailed information about patient visits and insurance that may not have been previously mentioned in the initial review. So OCR got in, did a review of the of NVD's Yelp review page and confirmed that indeed NVD had been posting responses to reviews that uh, included this PHI or compromised PHI. Um, so their OCR notified NVD and back in 2019, they conducted an on-site visit. So this is kind of showing you how the process of how these investigations work. And um, 
uh, NVD uh, eventually was was hit with a $23,000 resolution amount or, or penalty and then had to enter into that corrective action plan. So a much smaller dollar amount penalty here, uh, likely because you know fewer people were involved. And um, but but some good lessons here. Obviously, it's always good to think about what you are posting on social media, and it's always good to avoid any type of personal information in a public space like that. So sure, and he he may have been pulled into that one thinking that they had revealed it themselves, but it, it's still it's uh you know it still wasn't uh, obviously you can't you can't do that on the provider side. So. Um, let's move on and move on to the next one. Yeah, so this one is fairly small, but very important. It relates to requests for records. And this is a different aspect of, of HIPAA, but this one started in August 2021 with a complaint filed with OCR alleging that Life Hope Labs, so again, we're still kind of on the provider side, uh, would not provide a personal representative with a copy of her deceased father's medical records. Uh, the personal representative uh, requested access to her father's records on July 7th of 2021, uh, didn't actually receive them until February 16th, 2022, which is over seven months later. And so the investigation determined, uh, OCR through the investigation determined that life, that that failure to provide timely access to a requested medical record was a violation of HIPAA's right of access provision. And so uh, Life Hope Labs agreed to, again, a corrective action plan and to pay $16,500 to resolve this investigation. And so I thought this statement here from OCR, again, these are uh, just kind of describing their position, really highlights the lesson here. Access to medical records, including lab results, empowers patients to better manage their health, communicate with their treatment teams, and adhere to their treatment plans. The HIPAA privacy rule gives individuals and personal representatives a right to timely access their medical records from all covered entities, including laboratories. And therefore, covered entities must follow the law and ensure that they are responding timely to record access requests. Yeah, so this is good. So this is really showing it from the other side. It's not that something's been disclosed, but something has not been, you know, some record has uh, has not been actually provided. So uh, uh, interesting twist on patients' rights under HIPAA. I think you've got one more for us today. So why don't we run through that? Yeah, so this one occurred more recently and, and right at the end of 2022 and is much bigger as this relates to uh, one of the biggest employers in Arizona and a, and a hospital system, Banner Health Affiliated Covered Entities or just Banner Health. But this is a nonprofit health system headquartered in Phoenix. And the settlement here relates to a data breach resulting from a hacking incident uh, by a threat actor in 2016 that disclosed the PHI of 2.81 million consumers. And so again, a lot of people involved here. This is very unlikely on the employer side to ever get to this many impacted. Uh, but the, the potential violations in specifically included the lack of an well, the lack of an analysis to determine risks and vulnerability yeah, to electronic protected health information across the organization. So again, the risk assessment is, is right up front here. Insufficient monitoring of its health information systems activity to protect against the cyber attack. Failure to implement an authentication process to safeguard EPHI. So you're thinking about that dual authentication, the logins. And lastly, a failure to have security measures in place to protect EPHI. 
uh, from unauthorized access when it was being transmitted electronically. So think about emails and, and however else you might transmit it. This resulted in a, a massive $1.25 million penalty and that correction act or corrective action plan that uh, asks you know, Banner Health to take those steps to fix those violations. So the settlement, and we don't have enough information from what is posted here to really know what the actual cyber attack is, uh, but the lessons here are just more directly related to the importance of cybersecurity and having protections in place to safeguard and to monitor that. Um, sometimes the threats come from within, right? Like a rogue employee hopping on a computer and stealing. Um, more often it feels like they're coming from without through these cyber attacks, which appears to be the case here. So just that thought to really, really engage your IT and tech teams. Again, this is most important for a self-funded employer where you are storing a lot of this information, but your IT and tech teams are just so important to be involved in the conversation and to have a, a policy, a procedure, a program to constantly monitor for cyber attacks. It's just, it's just so important and vital in our world now. You know, and one note to add to that is, is uh, to make sure that you have in place a cyber policy because those certainly can, are, they're so important these days, especially if you're, you know, you have any type of uh, information you're trying to protect and what company doesn't nowadays, but it also comes with helpful additions like forensic um, capabilities. So I know um, I've seen uh, that kick into play where it's not always clear what information was um, in breach. And so they can jump in there and help with some of that forensic as well, as well as the legal um, oversight. Um, so, or I should say some legal advice and regulatory advice on where breach notifications must occur. Um, Let's see, what else did you want me? What did you want me to say? I'm sorry, I didn't really have a question written there, did I? <laughs> you can just say any other thoughts, I guess. Um, yes, and that, but completely agree that it's so important to engage your IT team, especially as you're developing those security policies and procedures, make sure that they are, they are in place and that you've got a solid uh, process working. Any last thoughts, Chase? Yeah, I just agree with that. And, and the statement from OCR is helpful really directly at cybersecurity. And they just say that the hackers continue to threaten the privacy and security of, of patient information health held by uh, healthcare organizations, including hospitals. I think we can add in there, including employers that sponsor group health plans, right, to make it a little bit more direct to what we're talking about. But then goes it goes on to the statement goes on to say it's imperative that covered entities and, and business associates, uh, again, those are those that are helping with the plan, um, that they be vigilant in taking robust steps to protect their systems, data, and records. And this begins with understanding their risks and taking actions to prevent, respond, and combat such cyber attacks. And then it goes on to talk about, you know, some, some resources that OCR has on that specifically. So I know we started uh, at the top, really highlighting the, the first uh, HIPAA obligation on risk assessment. We've hammered that throughout. I, I just really wanted to hammer it one more time here at the end to just say risk assessment is really where you can get a good start on this. That helps address these cybersecurity challenges sooner. Tech and IT, super important. There's lots of parties within an organization that need to be involved in HIPAA privacy security and uh, tech IT are right at the top. It also may be some C-suite individuals, it may be obviously the HR benefits team, 
it, and there's just it just needs to be a conversation with several different people within the organization. Uh, but when when I when I read HHS does have a self help risk assessment tool uh, that you can go download and, and start with. But when I read it, I don't I don't understand much of it. It's like another language, right? It really is written uh, in for tech people, and so we just can't highlight that enough. The importance of IT and tech folks being involved. And that includes intimately involved in the development and implement, implementation of uh, HIPAA privacy and security policies and procedures. They just have to be involved. Right. Thank you, Chase. Um, I, 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 this is always a topic that is around. I think we could probably discuss it every week with some new angle, adding in a new fact pattern, um, because uh, it is quite HIPAA obviously touches so many people. Um, but as we like to say on our podcast, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us today.